we want to inspire a change in the social currency to be you know not one of of status or prestige but one around you know what it is that we're we're doing for others but we think a lot can happen from making small everyday changes or actions Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Hey folks, welcome. My guest today is Corey Ames, and I do a pretty full introduction to him at the beginning, so I won't do that now. Just want to let you know what this episode is about. So Corey is an expert in social entrepreneurship and social impact companies, and we get into all of that on the episode today. You will see from the interview that I gushed a little bit there and I used words like generous and orientation about 18 times a piece. I hope you don't mind that. But I was very enthusiastic about speaking with Corey because I think that it's people like him supporting movements like social entrepreneurship and social impact companies that are the direction in which we're headed, and he's helping to support that. So just really happy to highlight his work. I hope that you will check out his website at growthensemble.com. And without further ado, let's roll it. Corey Ames is the co-founder and CEO of Grow Ensemble, an impact marketing and media company on a mission to make sustainable business and more sustainable living the norm. He's also the host of the Social Entrepreneurship and Innovation podcast, where he interviews many leaders in the space of better business and social impact. Prior to all this, at 22, Corey was the CEO of a digital marketing agency. After that, he began consulting on all things digital marketing and SEO with the aim of using his skills for doing good. And then this found him deep in the world of social entrepreneurship and using business as a force for good. Grow Ensemble was created as a vehicle to raise awareness of and inspire action around some of the world's biggest problems and problem solvers. They blog, podcast, and publish videos on all things leaving the world a better, more just, equitable and habitable place for all. Habitable is a little <laughs> tongue twister there. Yeah, it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. And so it was actually a podcast search that I did a few years ago that led me to start listening to Corey's podcast because I was curious about what social impact was, social entrepreneurship, how it was different than the nonprofit space and all of that. So that's how I actually found Corey. So welcome, Corey, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So in our conversations and reading your work and about you, here are some things that I've picked up about you so far. They may not be right, so you can correct me. 
One thing is that you really seem to like being at the forefront. So my guess is that you're an early adopter. So being a CEO at age 22 and now going like 100% in on your mission, you just, it seems like you get an idea or a passion and you go for it. So you're, you know, right at the forefront there. And then gradually and but really over just a brief period, you moved fully into this space of using your unique skills, which is the digital marketing and all of the SEO, all of that work. You're using your capability in that area to forward the agenda of business as a force for good. And so I was just, as I was thinking about that, I thought, oh, that's a, that's a nod to Jim Collins and his concept of the hedgehog. You know, this is what you, something that you really do well. And then finally, one of the things that I really appreciated was your generous orientation. So as we were talking about the differences between CSR and social impact, which we'll get into, um, your orientation is to not make other people wrong. So we've got so much divisiveness already in the country, but you you seem to think that there's a place for everybody and all the different ways that we're making the world better or trying to anyway. <laughs> Do those sound like you? <laughs> it's nice to have those descriptions. I think they're, they're you, maybe you're being a, a bit generous. I do appreciate uh, the, the complimentary nature of it. But yeah, I, I definitely resonate with those descriptions uh, to some degree. I, I think, you know, some of the willingness to kind of dive in with both feet into whatever I'm doing is is in part you know, because I'm I'm very passionate about what it is that I'm working on, and that that's been very deliberate in discovering what it is that I'm very passionate about. But as well, you know, I think as as many business owners and entrepreneurs resonate with is you're kind of stubborn. You know, you kind of want to do things uh, on your own terms, and so I've definitely done that uh, throughout my life thus far. And sometimes that's to a fault, you know, which I'm sure a lot of people uh, can <laughs> can resonate with themselves, but it's been a, a large approach uh, to what Grow Ensemble has come to be is, is really one, a, a blend of what I feel my, my skill sets are to, you know, what, what is the work that I need to be doing that I feel is, is most impactful, you know, and then three, like kind of what, what the world needs right now, you yeah. know, and so th- that can be a combination of both what are needs of businesses as a, you know to make businesses and and some consumers to make what we do at Grand Ensemble sustainable, um, but as well just kind of a general sentiment to take it beyond just you know kind of market based uh, thinking with it as to to what is needed generally in the world. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I, I want to start by asking you to make the distinction between social entrepreneurship and social impact versus CSR or whatever, but maybe just start with the definition of the, the former. Sure. Well, I think the one issue with that is that there is no one definition. Uh, and that was really one of the, the first kind of driving forces for me in, in starting Raw Ensemble, because it's been very uh, learning-based, research-based, as you know, you mentioned the podcast for one. We were talking right before we hit record about 180 or so interviews. So I've learned a lot, 
you know, from all the different ways that that people can exist in this space of social entrepreneurship versus sustainable business. Uh, and so to perhaps define it, you know, it's along a, along a, a spectrum, but I, I do see social entrepreneurs really as uh, people and businesses that have impact predominantly at the core of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really that's, I'm meaning to say that their object and their aim is to make some sort of meaningful impact uh, mm-hmm. or some sort of meaningful change. So their business exists to ideally influence something environmental or social. And on the side of that, to sustain their mission, they need to have a sustainable business. So the business needs to be profitable and operate appropriately so that they can sustain the in, in increase and expand the impact that they're making. Uh, instead, or in contrast, corporate social responsibility is more so something that's kind of an extension or on the arm of a current business model. So inherently in a lot of the the business models of, of very large companies, large corporations, there is no sort of priority or focus on some social or environmental impact. And CSR as well can exist in a business to where the core of the business's model and function is in fact detrimental to some sort of Mm. environmental or or social circumstances. So maybe a a stark example is companies in the the space of fossil fuel sector, for one. You know, inherently in their business model, they are causing a really massive destruction and erosion of uh, our natural environments, but they have very large, massive uh, uh, corporate social responsibility programs. And then bringing it to a sector of of businesses that are, are socially or environmentally responsible, maybe not exactly social entrepreneurs, they are, are as well in their business model looking for ways to do things more sustainably, both mm-hmm. from a social and environmental standpoint. Um, they might have some elements of you know kind of charity or impact programs. Um, I, I'll give a good example, maybe is like a, a mattress manufacturer. So there's uh, like Lisa Mattress, this is a, a certified B corporation. And so, you know, by selling mattresses, they're not necessarily tackling some immediate environmental or social impact. But the way in which they're choosing to manufacture their mattresses, you know, how they go about, you know, procuring the materials and, and operating their supply chain, they are minding social and environmental dynamics in that. So there's socially responsible business. And then maybe at the largest or the furthest end of the spectrum is the social entrepreneur who the core of their business, what they're trying to do is is perhaps serve some underserved communities. There's a lot of this in the financial space now as people are often underbanked or you know are lacking access to the financial sector. Those businesses are built with some sort of specific impact uh, that isn't being met. Okay. These are new distinctions for me even now. I hadn't gotten to that quite that degree. So what are some of the brands that we would recognize? So you mentioned Lisa, who is a certified Mm -hmm. B Corp and they do the mattresses and their core isn't the social impact. But what businesses would we recognize who were founded with that mission? That's a good question because I, I think many of them are very small uh-huh. um, because sometimes the the market sizes for that aren't you know tremendously large you know I because even still like Patagonia is a really acclaimed example of 
kind of an activist style company. And they do a ton, a ton, a ton in um, supporting and funding grassroots environmental organizations and programs and initiatives. But even still at the core of the business, you know, in in selling outdoor apparel, although they do it, you know, in a way that that is is, uh, pretty ethical and sustainable, you know, I wouldn't say that that's meeting some really kind of, you know, direct impact. And some small examples that might might come up, but it, it starts to be kind of subtle, you know. Because mm-hmm. even still, mm-hmm. I think that that there can be good examples. So for one, uh, there, there's a company that's based in the Northeast. It's called Dean's Beans, and so there it's a coffee company. And so maybe you could see a company like that uh, as an example. You're like, well, they're just they're producing and, and selling coffee. There's no direct social impact, but. Uh, Dean Saikon, the the founder of that company, uh, got into the coffee space because he was originally an environmental and indigenous rights lawyer. So he was working internationally and and working particularly in the supply chain of the coffee industry to see what sort of conditions existed on coffee farms and what issues existed in uh, fair trade. You know what sort of prices these farmers were getting for their beans and how they were, were their working relationships were in relationship to like a Starbucks, for example, which can make a massive impact on a community like that. And so he started that company primarily with the aim to to make sure that the relationship with those farmers who were at the very beginning at the supply chain, um, that it was more equitable, it was just that they were being paid a fair price for the beans. They had uh, long-term consistent contracts that they could expect to to sustain their own agricultural businesses on, reinvest back into their own businesses in their local communities. And so it's subtle distinction there, but he did start it. I, I would say that Dean is a social entrepreneur because if he wasn't starting a business, he would probably be working in some other sector to try and address that issue, which he was. He worked in law and then he started a nonprofit after that. And then he only came to terms with the fact that, oh, maybe, you know, I could make an impact that was appropriate for him by actually getting into the the private sector and starting a for-profit business. Great. Thanks for those examples. And I'm I'm going to take this opportunity to also let people know I'll, I am going to be linking to your website in the episode notes because you have a whole section there. You have a section there called um, Work Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so there's Work Ensemble and Live Ensemble or Buy Ensemble. And so you can actually go into those sections of the website and you've got some listings as well as interviews and papers that you've written about some of these businesses. So there are places to find this. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening here. um, One of the things that you said, Corey, is that many of these businesses are small. Mm -hmm. And just as I sat down and started thinking in Dallas, where I'm located, I was able to think of several examples where they were, I think that they are social entrepreneurs, like a staffing agency that was created for second chance staffing. So people Mm. with a criminal record or going through recovery, helping them find jobs. Or there's a a Cola, it's a jewelry company that began as a nonprofit providing jobs for women in East Africa. They've become so successful that now they've they've turned that particular arm of their business into for-profit. So it's likely that where most people live, there is is some small business that you can support. You just have to look for it and and know that when you're giving your business to those people, you're, you're furthering that mission as well. 
Mm, I, I totally agree. They, they are all around us. It's just they may not be the ones who are always in uh, mainstream media headlines. Right, right. So uh, back to your website, lots of plugs here for this. On your front page, you have this statement, inspire everyday impact. Is that what you would consider your purpose or your mission or your why? Is that statement your why? I think it's very close to it for uh-huh. sure. All right. uh, that is a, a, a large component of you know what it is that that we're trying to do because first and foremost, we don't think that people can make any sort of meaningful change if they're not equipped uh, with the the right information or any information at all for that matter. Um, but likewise on that too, we don't think people are going to make change unless they're connected to. Uh, a sense of community, you know, mm. either uh, um, just thinking through that figuratively or very literally, you know, th- we want to really inspire a change in the social currency to be, you know, not one of of status or prestige, but one around, you know, what it is that we're we're doing for others, and so yeah, the opponent with that of of everyday impact, we think a lot can happen from making small everyday changes or actions. Um, and I think that that's in such a way to where it's accessible to more people too. And it's not just about how much you lessen your carbon footprint to what degree that that becomes, but making small changes every day can have a lot of indirect effects as well. You know, on yourself and how you feel about your role as either a member of your local community or global community, yeah. or likewise, how that influences others around you. You know, if you're making small actions uh, to either, you know, give back in some sort of way, uh, be considerate of, of the natural environment, you know, that's going to encourage and influence other folks around you too. And that's really kind of where we, you know, see there's an opportunity to get a much greater effect beyond ourselves. Yeah. I love that kind of the psychic impact of, you know, knowing that every day I'm taking, I'm taking small actions. And right. again, this is what, one of the beautiful things that I like about your approach to this is that it's accessible and it's got a very generous spirit. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I'm curious about, I'm imagining, maybe it's more than imagine, may, I'm hopeful that with millennials and Gen Zs being more awake to these, the environmental impact and maybe more caring about it too. I don't know if that's true, but they're pushing an agenda. And I think that they're causing traditional businesses to rethink things. That's a hopeful assumption that I'm making. And I want to see if it jibes with the trends that you're seeing And as you look into the future, are we going to be seeing more and more of these social entrepreneur type companies? Definitely. I think that we will see more of these types of companies. We'll also see more companies that have existed before attempt to adapt. You know, obviously, we're already seeing that already. And so, Trends are leaning that way. I mean, I, I think there's there's a number of studies that are pointing to new members of the workforce prioritizing, you know, work that has meaning, you know, work that makes some sort of positive impact, and as well what their expectations are, maybe of either companies or brands that they support in their purchases, or as well companies and brands that they choose to work for. So, I definitely think the trends are headed that way. 
preferences don't necessarily replicate into action, hmm. which is you know something that we do just need to be cognizant of. But there's a lot of factors that go into that, Leanne, just because environmental circumstances definitely influence you know where people choose to work, who they choose to work for, you know, and so a reality is that we can still definitely feel pressure to make sure that we're making the living that we need to, you know, and, and what living we need to make is kind of up to our, you know, definition sometimes. Um, and so that puts some pressure on to whether or not those preferences, those values and those ethics, you know, really align with where people end up. And yeah. so trends are headed that way. I definitely think so. And I'm, I feel I like you, I feel, you know, optimistic and hopeful about it. The number of conversations of people that engage with Grow Ensemble and what we do, tons of young people, recent graduates, you know, uh, people in college who are very excited and enthusiastic about what we do. There's social entrepreneurship programs and courses being taught at universities. Mm. And as recent as when I was in college, there, that did not exist, you know, so that that's an indicator for sure as well. So, I definitely think, you know, consumer expectations with these newer generations or, or younger generations are changing at the pace at which that moves. It's another question, you know, and then as, as much as that becomes something that, that turns into action as well from the, the company standpoint, because, you know, we got to be careful of, of what's actually mission and what's marketing. Those right. things are, you know, hard, hard to tell exactly. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've been involved in the conscious capitalism space for several years now, and one of the things that I see happen fairly frequently, many of the conscious capitalism companies, they're not necessarily social entrepreneurship. They're, com they're companies that were in existence, and now they're adapting and kind of improving how they're doing business. Mm. Uh, most of them are in the mid-market space. And what I've seen happen, which is great for the founder, but then not so great for the movement, is then they get um, purchased by private mm -hmm. equity or they get purchased by someone else who's not necessarily interested in furthering that founder or that CEO's vision. And I'm curious what you can imagine happening in the social entrepreneurship space if if you can imagine that some of these companies will be attractive to private equity and maybe that's already happened and then what happens mm -hmm. and i don't know if we already have examples of companies losing their their way when they're purchased by another company mm -hmm. or by well, private equity sure i would say as to to what's been seen i don't know if we have enough information, you can make insinuations about what that means because of what a parent company stands for, you know, in, in contrast to mm -hmm. what one of the brands that they acquired um, stands for. So, for example, Ben and Jerry's uh, was purchased by uh, Unilever. Unilever has purchased a lot of what we, you know, you consider socially responsible, um, environmentally responsible brands and businesses. And people are kind of still waiting to see what, what exactly that means because you know if you did uh, some digging into Unilever you know there are companies that they're associated with that have been polluting environments in in you know countries elsewhere in the globe that you know are definitely reason for concern and so how that stacks up really with one versus the other you can't help but you know it's like a guilty by association thing you're like well if it benefits Unilever you know, Ben and Jerry's is wildly successful. And as well, they're kind of a, a pretty public brand standing for particular social issues. It's difficult to kind of juggle those. But 
there has been a big priority of many of these brands to stay privately owned mm-hmm. kind of for that reason. So Patagonia is one as well. Eileen Fisher, another one in the, the fashion space, they uh, exemplify a lot of these qualities too. And, and Eileen Fisher herself, because I'm doing research on the fashion industry right now, she said that it was largely one of her motivations to remain privately owned and own the company herself is because she had more control of you know, what sort of impact they were able to make in the way in which they did business and how they as well treated their employees this is in the context of they have something of a, an employee ownership model mm-hmm. with that company. But, but Patagonia as well has remained privately owned. And I'm preferential to that personally, because, you know, with that sort of commitment, you know, you do have confidence that, yeah, the ultimate buck really stops with them. Because in the issue of in selling, it's like who who is that? You know, is it Ben mm-hmm. and Jerry's that we're worried about now, or is it Unilever? It, it's cloudy. No matter what, you know, someone like like uh, the company like Ben and Jerry's can come out and say, you're like, well, I don't I don't know. It's hard to tell. It just makes it more difficult. It does. Anyways. It mm-hmm. does. It puts a little a little doubt, a little question mark, and in the way I spend my money anyway. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to change topics just a little bit here and ask you about, you know, I don't know how difficult it is to launch a social entrepreneur company or a social impact company. If one of your friends or someone that you really cared about was asking you about this, what kind of advice would you give them? And so what's different about launching a company like this rather than a traditional for-profit organization? And what are some key things that you would have people think about? Mm. That's a, a really good question. And you know, I would say maybe many of my podcast guests would be uh, <laughs> the, the best experts on this, <laughs> but there's a, a few things because uh, there are inquiries that have come up for me as to how do you in fact balance it all? of running this style of business. Because as an example, um, one, one big question for mine has always been, and I've always been very curious to kind of like get under the hood of, of some of the, the businesses that I've spoken with, you know, and, and clients that I've worked with. You know, for example, people often say, you know, profit isn't a bad thing. And it's not, you know, a, a business needs to have a particular level of profit to make sure that it's sustainable. You know, they're saving enough in their operating expenses. They can make payroll, they can reinvest in whatever they need to, you know, to, to improve the infrastructure of their operations. It's incredibly important. That's not something that, you know, maybe someone who hasn't been in business themselves might understand. However, then there's the question of how much profit, you know, hmm. is, <laughs> is, is what it's you It's a mean. slippery slope. <laughs> sure. And so that that's just one question as an example that I wouldn't say I have the answer to, um, it, and it, because it totally depends on you know what kind of business you're running. Are you manufacturing and selling products or information, whatever it is? But those are questions that are hard to answer, and people don't necessarily have one answer to. Yeah. Um, however, what I would say as a, a few particular things, and, and from my own experience of doing so which is almost in whatever business that you're in, but it, it's it's reach out to the, the community of people who are you know running businesses that you admire, uh, that you think might have some overlap into to what sector or industry that you're a part of. Because I would say more so than, and I came from more so like traditional sales and marketing, digital marketing agency experience. This space, no matter the sector or the industry has been 
far more generous and open to, to sharing advice, input, their own insights, their own learning experiences, helping you along your way than I found at all in my previous experience. And I'm sure, you know, that then there was there were also very, you know, generous open people in the space I was in before, but it wasn't universal. I definitely ran into some folks who were a bit protective, you know, of of what they felt was, you know, their space in in their market and in their industry. Uh, but 99.9% of the people I've reached out to, I'd almost say 100, I can't even think of an example. Uh, they've been you know, willing to even take phone calls with me. For example, they get on recordings with me for the podcast and, you know, endlessly, and they're an open book. Because the, the thing is, if you're in the space of you know, wanting to use your business you know, as a, a force for good to, to leave the world a better place, if someone else has a business whose objective is you know, the same way, you're tackling the same goal. You're on the same team. And so collaboration is a much more important priority than competition is, I find, in this space of sustainable business. So a very kind of gen, general and broad operating principle is to, to reach out to people who hmm. you know, have models that you admire be very uh, considerate the fact that they're probably busy folks themselves, but you know, reach out for help and mentorship, and you know, study what they're doing because they're they're going to be an open book. You know, don't bombard people with with emails and solic- solicitation. But I definitely think that that that's been something unique of this experience. And then I I think the the second component of the the thing I would share is to really share everything that you're learning. And so I'm very kind of partial to this and biased to this because it's what I do. We publish in the online space, you know, articles, blogs, videos, all that kind of good stuff. But even someone who's not running a company that would be considered a media company, you know, has this really incredible ability to to leverage the this, you know, power and potency of the internet and and online media, uh, because at all hours of the day, search engines and things are really working for you if you're publishing and putting content outline to connect uh, online to put that content in the hands of someone who's interested in what you're mm-hmm. doing. You know, so if it's coffee, if it's fashion, you know, shoes, whatever it is, if you're writing about your experience and what you're learning throughout it, it attracts a community to it. And that's a one of the beautiful things that I really love about like this serendipity of the internet that exists. And so I I've gotten an infinite amount of value from being a publisher in the online space because, you know, I have emails every single day from people in all places all over the world. You know, connecting with what it is that we do, and not necessarily advancing Grow Ensemble's strategic goals and initiatives, but it does feel like I have a sense of community around what we're doing because uh, people have have seen that we have a body of work online. Thank you for all of that, and I just want to again kind of put a bookmark here, and for people who are listening, I don't know you can hit replay and listen to Corey speak again. And there is more generosity and you hear the passion in your voice as you were speaking about all that, just the the collaboration and the openness. And it really shines through. You're very believable that this is what you, (laughs) that that this is what you care about. The, The energies just went up as you were, as you were talking about all that. It was really beautiful. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad. Oh, God, I would hope so. I'd, I'd hope it, it seems authentic because it yeah. is. Yeah. I am curious. So you're running your maybe second, I don't know if you had another company between when you were CEO of the first company as well. Do you have like a certain philosophy around leadership? Maybe we just heard it. Maybe all that generosity is part of your philosophy, but 
I'm just curious, a person in your space, how you view your role as the leader of your organization and the impact that you want it to make. I like to think that I know more about leadership now when I'm running a smaller business than I was when uh, I was the the CEO of that agency for, it seems like for, for worse, I was going to say for better or for worse, but for worse, uh, you know, I wish I had those skills much earlier, but in reflecting on that, that experience. And then now with Grow Ensemble, I I guess what I I try to prioritize are are a few things in particular. Uh, One of which is that I myself always want to be, you know, and remain a, a student and, and a learner. I most certainly, most certainly don't have all the answers, you know, and I, I want to remain very curious and open to asking questions. And that's kind of an expectation that, you know, I want to set with anyone who I work with so that we encounter mm-hmm. from Girl Ensemble is that I want to come off as hopefully, you know, that I, I'm more than okay being, you know, wrong and, and corrected and provided with the right information because, you know, I, I think that's for the betterment of what we're doing and ultimately, you know, my betterment of, of understanding the world that we live in. And, and that's a big priority for me because that's what Grow Ensemble really was at its core was an exercise in learning as much as I could about this space in particular, because these were businesses and business people that felt more like, you know, my people and my community. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to learn, you know, how they were doing, what they're doing, all these exciting things that they were doing and what what seemed unique about their approaches to life and business. And so, and anyone that I reach out to, it's like, I'm trying to learn from them, you know? And so likewise of who I work with, I want to have that same expectation. And then uh, secondly, along that, I think a big priority for mine is is realizing and reminding myself that you know everyone that I work with myself included like you know we're all humans so none of us are are superhuman for one and two there's always real kind of life you know expectations you know I like folks that I work with to have of me and likewise of them because I I think that there can oftentimes be in, in the, my first agency experience, there were different expectations of people based off of kind of which rung of the ladder they were in mm. in the agency. And so one thing, for example, it's like people who, um, this isn't always the case, depends on the size of the business, but folks who were higher up in the business perhaps had more you know, liberty and freedom uh, to either be more creative in their work and choose what sort of initiatives they focused on, as well as uh, incorporate more, I guess, healthy work-life balances and strategies on a day-to-day basis. And so like, I don't think that people should be unequal, you know, in an organization. While it's important to have, you know, different tiers of strategic decision-making and things like that, you know, and and sometimes people have different purviews of the business. I don't think that, you know, uh, people should be treated in a different way because of, you know, what their status is in the business. And so we just onboarded a new employee recently and, you know, they had the question of like, what sort of responsiveness, you know, or expectation is there uh, to have them available, you know, in evenings, in the weekends. And, you know, I said like, none, like, it's not, <laughs> you know, I don't want you talking to me then, you know, I don't want people bothering me then. And, and likewise, I, you know, I'd want you to have that same pl- privilege. There's no expectation for that, you know, and, and for us, it's mostly on, like, I genuinely believe that people want to do good work and they want others who mm. they work with to think that they do good work to think that they're reliable and high integrity you know i think the examples of people trying to to take advantage of a system or team members 
is is few and far between, although it sometimes can get you know the greatest attention, kind of the the squeaky wheel sort of thing. Well, it's a much um, more dramatic story, <laughs> certainly, and it can it can draw our attention. But I, I definitely think um, the majority of people want to do good work. You know, they want to have fulfilling and meaningful work. You know, and that can look a lot of different ways. Um, but they likewise, you know, want to enjoy their life. You know, time with their family, hobbies, and enthusiasms that they have, and. I have those expectations for my approach to work and life. And so why wouldn't, you know, anyone mm-hmm. else? Um, it's not like I'm, you know, different from uh, those folks. Yeah. Yeah. So this is so inspiring. I find you and your outlook inspiring and generous. And I want people to know how else they can engage with you and kind of get more of that. And I know that you've got a few things that you're working on. So why don't you talk about that a little bit for how how we can engage more with you? Sure. Well, you got too many things that we're working on, uh, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people uh, can connect with. But maybe I can show you the prioritization matrix. <laughs> oh, I might need that. That's right. Well, but but first and foremost, I think the the greatest way to get connected with us is is to. Uh, check out the the weekly newsletter that uh, I write, which is our Better World Weekly Newsletter. And so I write and publish this myself every single Monday and have done so for at the end of today, it will be 95 Mondays in a row. And so uh, this is addressed from me and really kind of um, my latest synthesis and analysis on the, the space of sustainable business and, and social impact. You know, we really call it like our discussion with our, our community of change makers and innovators from from all over, all across the globe, um, every single Monday. Because we, you know, there's really a dialogue that happens from that because uh, it's uh, a very kind of uh, personal essay that I put together or collection of analysis of articles and resources and things uh, to kind of keep up with you know where this space is headed. And so that's usually a great entry point um, to to start engaging with us and see more of what we're about. And that's at growensemble.com backslash newsletter. And then after you, if you hang out there for a while and you know you you want even more, we actually just launched uh, what what we call our ensemble community. And so this is a membership area, a private members area that we started for uh, folks in the space of of socially responsible business, social impact. Uh, we have you know solo freelancers wanting to do more meaningful work there. We have early stage purpose-driven business founders, social enterprise founders. We have a few folks from the nonprofit sector, really kind of all-encompassing, which is very cool to see. Um, but our ensemble community, we just launched that recently, and you could check that out at growensemble.com backslash membership. So those would probably be the, the two best okay. starting points. Great. One of the things that I want to ask you about too, you publish every Monday. Mm-hmm. You were telling me you do one and a half episodes of your <laughs> podcast every week. I'm curious about what kind of structures that you have in place that keep you on track. So you didn't mention that in leadership, but as I listen to you, I'm hearing structure and discipline. So I'm curious what you have to share with us there. Sure. Well, people can see those production numbers and think that I'm like insanely productive, you know, and effective. But you know, if you watch me every day, you <laughs> probably think the opposite. But I like to think about the things that we do and the things that I'm responsible for for producing myself. 
uh, on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, really in the the concept of systems and, and habits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the context of the newsletter for one, which I think has been one of the most impactful things that uh, I've started and, and grown for Grow Ensemble, I want to set up those sort of outputs in such a way to where you know, I get to the point where I don't even think about whether or not I'm going to publish and, and send something out that it's an absolute, you know, non-negotiable. Even still, you know, I could in theory not publish a newsletter today, you know, which I'm kind of on the hook for. Uh-huh. But it's become so permanent of a habit and a public commitment as well, you know, to to our list of now near 3,000 subscribers that I do feel confident that if I didn't send something out, that there would be a few folks who would think, where is that today? Mm-hmm. You know, or sorry. if I just didn't acknowledge it and send something out the next week, they would notice that I wouldn't do it. And that, that's exactly you know, what it is that I want to create because I feel such immense pressure to make sure that I'm producing you know, very consistently um, and, and repeatedly as a product of those kind of public commitments that we've mm-hmm. made. And likewise, you know, in the sense of systems is like, I'm, I'm not doing everything on my own. You know, we have a really great team of folks who are editing our podcasts, videos that we produce, you know, edit the writing, the content that we're producing for the blog. We have writers, you know, and I, I do a lot of uh, production myself, but I certainly don't take care of, of all of it. We have a, a lot of uh, really good supporting folks doing different roles here and there to make sure things are moving smoothly. So I always like to think about where should I be? You know, where, where was kind of mm-hmm. my unique position? And then likewise, you know, where are kind of the constraints or the bottlenecks on the process uh, to where people who would be better than me to do it, you know, can go ahead and, and tackle that, you know, consistently and repeatedly. Yeah. That goes along with your orientation toward learning, always mm-hmm. learning. Yeah. So thank you for uh, letting me ask that question. It wasn't planned. And I just, I really admire your consistency. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I will include how to get in touch with you, all of the links that you shared. I'll put that in the episode notes. And I want to wish you really, really great luck. I love what you're doing. I think it's really needed. It's important. And I'm, I'm glad that you're out there providing all of this good stuff for the rest of us. So thank you. Thank you, Leanne. I appreciate you having me here. All right. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world. Thank you.